CBCC episode 23. My realization of the day today is actually a warning. The following podcast episode contains takes that exceed temperatures suitable for mortals. Though the podcast is designed to show overwhelming love and support for the films discussed, attempting to navigate the perplexities of the Halloween franchise require going to some dark places, places where controversial opinions about your favorite movie and or Final Girl might live. This is typically a safe place, but for this episode, I advise you to proceed with caution. That was dramatic. I'm stoned, and you're listening to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Oh yeah, that breath at the beginning felt really good. Sometimes I don't give myself a chance to breathe after I rip that fucking bong. Hello, hello. My name is Devon Taylor, a.k.a. Daddy Disco, a.k.a. The Bloody Boogeyman, and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, one stoner's journey through the subgenres of horror. Think of it like sitting around talking horror movies with your buds and... And your favorite buds. That's right, it is week two of the Bloody Pumpkins Bonanza, talking all movies set on or around Halloween. And guys, this is a real big episode. It's stuffed, it's long, we got a lot to talk about. We are dissecting the Halloween film series, trying to make sense of the iconic yet illogical franchise. I'm joined by a longtime friend of mine that I've been chumming it up with online for years. But before I introduce him, let's talk about five-star iTunes reviews. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please take 30 seconds to write a five-star review of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club on iTunes or Apple Pods. It really helps spread the word around as well as retweeting and reposting the posts that I do on Twitter and Instagram at BloodyBluntCC. Five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. Five-star... Oh, shit. That was a really big hit. That was a really big hit. We're back, guys, uh, is the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, and we are here, finally, with my special guest for this episode. I have known this cat for years through the interwebs, and we have gotten to have conversations on all sorts of movies between um, our podcasts, YouTube channels, whatever we've been working on at the time. Um, he is a writer who's working on a, a super cool fiction um, young adult novel, as well as we are working on a screenplay together as well. And on top of that, he has done some pretty awesome YouTube video essays. Welcome to the show, Mr. Nolan Dean. Oh, dude, it is so fucking good to be back on your show. I like horror, 
uh, having fun with my friends. This is the shit I live for. I mean, you've known me since I was excited to talk about movies on the internet. And believe me, that was a long time ago. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, I think that's like really cool. Like, I mean, just like the internet itself is always really awesome. And yeah, it's just been crazy how many, you know, the different things we've gotten to talk about. But I mean, this is like, this right here is finally like, this is the convo we've been waiting for, you know, because the, the last thing we did was my interview for your YouTube channel. Um, uh, creator's conscience. Yeah, yeah. For creator's conscience. And which was fantastic. We uh, had a lot of fun uh, talking about a bevy of horror topics. But now we get to actually talk some movies. This is our first time getting to talk like some movies in a hot minute on on some sort of thing. And, and you know, I'm fucking ripping my bong over here. You got your pen on your day off. So uh, so happy that you chose to spend your day off with me, Nolan. Uh, I couldn't think of a better person to spend it with. Hell yeah. So it is week two of the Bloody Pumpkins Bonanza. Uh, we are talking all movies set on or around Halloween. And of course, I, you know, I was going to skip. Like, honestly, I was going to skip talking about the Halloween movies, even though it's like literally the name. I was going to skip it because like, lo and behold, I'm not the biggest fan. I mean, I like a lot of things about the franchise and we're going to get into all sorts of stuff. I mean, literally we're talking about just any of the Halloween movies, 11 movies up for grabs. And we're just going to talk a little bit about our favorites and different ones and just um the, the kind of the anatomy of this franchise as a whole, because that, I guess, sort of interests me, but it's never been my biggest. And like, since I'll we're going to skim through a lot of the sequels too. So it's like, you'll see there's like not a lot to talk about with certain movies, but a lot more with other movies. So I was going to skip it, but then I was like, nah, it's, it's the first, it's the first bloody pumpkins bonanza. We got to throw in, in there. And that way I could do it in one episode rather than like spending a whole month on it. Cause I definitely wasn't going to do that. So <laughs> I am excited to get into that, but first let's go ahead and get a little background from Nolan. Um, it, so Nolan does, he does fiction, he does some fiction writing, you've done, um, video essays on movies, you know, horror or not horror, um, and we both, you know, share a love for Tim Burton as well, um, just like, you know, so like, what's been going on with, uh, what you've been working on lately? Uh, well, as of today, uh, I just finished edits on, uh, Moonflower, the book I'm working on, uh, Actually, I think the first time that I was on your show, I was just starting to write that story, and it had a completely different title. It was a big yeah. piece of shit back then. It's a slightly shinier piece of shit now. Hopefully my agent likes it more. Uh, that story is very dear to me. It's uh, about this little girl who loves stories and loves heroes and reading and fiction, and she gets to live out the dream that a lot of us imagine, which is meeting your favorite fictional character in real life. And I thought what would be interesting to do with that is to take the psychology of what if a fictional person found out that the whole reason for their tragic backstory and everything they've gone through and how they've suffered was because somebody wrote their life that way. And I thought that would make a great origin story for a villain. So uh, I've stuck with it for four years based on that premise alone. 
Yeah, and, and I love that, yeah, I've gotten to watch, you know, the evolution of Moonflower and, like, your your passion for it of being able to, like, I mean, I have not been able to stick with a project for that long. I mean, if I stick with a project for six months, I'm happy about it. So, like, you know, I've always admired your dedication to this project. It obviously does mean a whole lot to you. And it, and it I mean, it very much encapsulates, like, your your kind of uh, ideas on storytelling, at least from like our conversations and, you know, your, um, your interests in the villains and what, you know, the villains can provide for a story and like how integral a villain is. Um, and that is something that definitely we're, um, touching on big time with our little screenplay that we're working on just to give you guys a little teasers. Well, I can talk a little bit about skeletons if you want. Yeah, because uh, you can go ahead and uh, tell them like where the ideas uh, came about from. Because I don't even think I've asked where the idea like originated from. I just hopped on board. Like, yeah, sure, let's. I'm totally in for this. But like, where did the idea kind of come around? Um, so I've always wanted to do horror. Like, uh, if I wasn't an author now, I think I would be writing horror scripts. But I know that industry is slightly harder to break into. But when I came up with this idea. I said to myself, I would never do a slasher story unless I had like a unique twist on it or I could do something original within it. And I thought, what if you took the queer experience of being like a closeted trans slash non-binary person and you did that as a slasher? And then it just spun into all these ideas like uh, how people online expect queer people to act, uh, what people's rules are for coming out. And then maybe you have a villain who maybe isn't necessarily a homophobe because I think having a homophobe as your villain, if you're raking a queer story is a little bit predictable and honestly a bit too easy for me. I'm not interested in writing villains like that. I always like, I always like when I can write a villain and it scares me because I can see maybe bits of my personality in them. Like with Moonflower, I see bits of my anger in there Mm -hmm. with the villain and skeletons in the closet. I see the, shitty person that i used to be thinking that oh if i'm queer i have to follow all these rules to a t and uh, so with skeletons i just wanted to write a really fun interesting slasher with a queer focus that wasn't alienating like it wasn't just like oh if you're not queer you can't enjoy this hopefully if this movie gets made everyone can enjoy it and uh, i also have to bring up uh, my friend uh, our friend gwen j stone incredible director uh tra- trans woman and knows way more about horror than even I do. And I think Gwen's younger than me, so that's saying something. So uh, me, you, and Gwen, we all make like a really great tight-knit team on this because you, I mean, that that one meeting we had when we were discussing <laughs> kills and stuff, you just went full crazy creative stuff. And I feel so much more confident about this story now that you're on board with it. Yeah, I mean, I am so excited to be a part of it. Yeah, that, that meeting definitely like got me like super hyped about it and... Uh, Gwen is awesome, like, ever since, like, getting introduced to her, like, it's been amazing, like, um, our conversations that we've had, like, on Twitter as well about movies, and, like, we're very, like, like, realizing, like, how like-minded we are as well, um, has been super fantastic, and, yeah, I think that is always the thing with slashers is making sure that it is, like, something fresh and different, because, I mean, the 80s wore slashers into the ground, you know, and took, you know, they they did everything. So it's like, it's so hard to like come up with, yeah, what 
can I do differently with my slasher that will separate it from the rest of that subgenre? But I think what we are doing um, will it's just gonna be fun. Like it will like it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be entertaining, but it will um, have a lot to say, which is like what I'm happy about. Like you know, jumping on the project with you guys because like you do have that personal experience. I mean, you guys both have the personal experience more than I do um, coming into this project, you know, so it's like really great for me to be able to kind of interpret your guys's, you know, feelings, emotions, and like see how that's going to translate into this with, um, kind of the personality that we're injecting into this idea. So yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, basically, uh, we're taking canceling someone on the internet to a whole new level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're taking it and we're turning it upside down and twisting it. I am, yeah, I'm super stoked on this one. You know, we've had conversations multiple times, so, you know, I don't want to keep going over the, you know, like your favorite horror movies or like your intro to horror. So I was trying to come up with something to kind of switch it up, you know. So what I wanted to ask you, because, you know, because you've kind of been similar to me, like your love of horror has been like very much like increased, like dramatically over the past few years, you know. So I so I want to ask, you know, as you've come to appreciate and kind of explore the genre a little bit more over the years, what's most important to you in a horror film right now? Um, for me, to qualify as horror, I think all a horror movie has to do is to explore fear in some way. And everyone's afraid of different things. I'm terrified of tons of things. I'm scared of fire. I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of spiders, even though I love Spider-Man. I'm scared of fucking most things anyway. And I think any story that takes that kind of fear and explores it in a unique way that to me qualifies as a horror story. And it's been interesting to see, like, like as you say, uh, from the last four years, horror really just going far with that. Because uh, I-, I got into horror mostly because I thought it was really fun. Like, uh, the first things I was watching was, like, Chucky and Scream and, like, uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween and stuff. And back then, I think as a kid, I probably just liked them because they were really fun. But now looking back, I kind of see a lot of those movies in a new light. Like, uh, Child's Play is exploring the scary side of children's marketing in a really fun satire, and it has a really cool villain. Like, Scream is exploring that fear of, oh, I don't know who to trust. Halloween's kind of the same thing. Friday the 13th, I'm scared that my son is going to come back as a big machete-wearing zombie. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Friday the 13th, (laughs) but... uh, Me neither. We're, 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 We're on board there as well. But yeah, just uh, with the rise of horror now, like people getting more experimental with it, uh, me and Gwen say this a lot, me and Morgan say this a lot, horror is the most creative genre because you have the littlest budget, but it can do so much with what it has to say, the sequences that you can come up with, and the way you have to work within that budget and still deliver an effective story is something that I've always really strived towards. I like creating something big out of very little as opposed to having a huge budget and then just not having enough left over for like characters and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I totally, so, I mean, I, I think we're kind of having some similar thoughts of like, basically like, yeah, you want there to be creativity 
and like some originality and like in in just in the fact of like you know like me and and we'll kind of get into it with the the franchise and it's like kind of the reason why I don't like Halloween or the Friday the 13th franchise as much as like other series like a child's play or a nightmare on Elm Street you know um just because like I I don't even care if it's good or bad half the time like like it can be bad just like try to do something interesting try to do something cool you know like like that's all that's all I'm like really looking for and and yeah like coming up with creative ways to explore fear because that's the thing in horror there are no rules so like if you are a boring horror movie then I don't like you don't have any excuses because you got no rules like why and like you know so like that's my thing is if you're gonna like make a horror movie and especially if you're doing a franchise where you're like trying to come up with new ideas for a character like I want people to take more wild swings you know with what they're doing rather than kind of this rinse and repeat formula and that's kind of you know what we'll get into whenever I kind of talk about um you know Rob Zombie's movies compared to like the sequel the other sequels of the Halloween franchise or just like in the lack of quality thereof of the sequels really so yeah just like try to be creative like try to do something new I don't you know like that's the least that I'm asking for you know and also um I think Randy from Scream sums it up perfectly what went wrong with the Halloween sequels it gets too complicated you lose your target audience yeah yeah if but yeah gets too gets too complicated but then also just like yeah, yeah, this fucking stupid Halloween timeline. Jeez, and that was, I mean, he, Randy said that even before, you know, it like, got, like, extra weird, you know, before the timeline got, like, really fucked up. He did not yeah, even know what he was getting himself into. Uh, Randy, rest his soul. Or, or maybe not, I don't know. Apparently, maybe not. People are talking, like, you know, the rumblings of trying to bring him back. Who knows? Did you see that thing uh, in H2O? There's a clip where they're playing Scream 2 on the TV. And I imagine like, okay, so Scream exists in the Halloween universe. So imagine if they were watching the first one where they're watching Halloween at the final party. Well, it's like they exist in each other's because as I was just watching on uh, Dead Meat on, they were showing, yeah, they were showing Scream. And in Scream, they watch Halloween. So it's like, what so it's like they exist in each it's a whole weird meta chain going on um but yeah so before we do dive a little bit further into the halloween franchise um i just wanted nolan to come with a little a uh, couple recommendation or recent watches to give the audience a little taste of uh you know what you're into so you know what have you been watching lately uh lately uh well I'm probably going to go see the last movie that I'll ever see in the theater in 2020. Uh, Saint Maud is coming out here. Another horror mm. release that I'm quite intrigued by. What I've been watching recently? Well, it's spooky month, so I'm kind of looking at movies now which have horror elements but aren't necessarily horror because, uh, you know, I'm writing a kid's story and I need inspiration for that. Moonflower actually has a few horror influences in it. So the thing I watched today was uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. 
which I mean for a Disney movie is very dark and has a lot of horror stuff in it that I think is really cool. Also, I have been listening to uh, the audiobook of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which mm-hmm. released earlier this summer. And I mean, if you are a horror fan, get yourself an Audible free trial and download that audiobook because it is fucking incredible. And I also got the Peter Pan audiobook read by Lily Collins. That also, I also think Peter Pan, that, that style, that story, it could easily be reworked as a horror story and be just as effective. Ooh, yeah. Like, I mean, they they want to remake Peter Pan every fucking seven years, apparently. So, yeah, let's get a horror Peter Pan. That's a good call. Reimagine him as, like, a boogeyman or something? That'd be really cool. Yeah, like that or, like, or, or like, kind of, like, a, like, a mashup of, like, Peter Pan and Sinister, where it's, like, the lost children, you know, following this figure. Ooh, weird. That would be fun. Um, and but... Another thing I did watch was uh, the remake of Fright Night, which uh, I think is a little underrated gem from the 2000s. Yeah, me and uh, me and Chelsea from Tales from the Stitch, we talked about the Fright Night movies on last week's episode, actually. Um, yeah, it's a it's a nice little gem, and we kind of had a quick little compare contrast of you know the original to the remake. I mean, they're both great in their own rights, but I mean, I I slightly edge towards the remake. Uh, it, it, it's really Caswell for a horror remake in that time, like uh, Anton Yelchin, Colin Farrell, like Christopher Mintz-Plasse. I can't imagine those guys doing a horror movie now. Well, yeah. Mintz-Plasse maybe, but not Colin Farrell. I mean, Colin Farrell did Killing of Sacred Deer. That's not, that's there. not super horror, but it kind of is. It's it's pretty dark. Um, so I mean, Colin Farrell, he's he's hanging around, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see him dive back into a full on horror movie. I would be very much uh into that return. Fun fact: me and Colin Farrell have the same birthday. Let's cast him in Skeletons in the Closet if we get to make it. Oh my God, he can be our detective. Fuck yeah, he could be the detective. As long as he keeps his Irish accent. That would be sweet. I'm I'm so into that. Um, yeah, and, and I definitely want to check out that uh, Sandman audiobook because I haven't really tried audiobooks. I've been kind of waiting for the one, but I think um, James McAvoy's sexy, sexy voice is enough to entice me into listening to Sandman. Uh, beyond an audiobook i mean i think people are put off by audiobooks because they think oh it's just essentially like bedtime it's like someone reading you a story this is not that this is like a full-on audio drama of the sandman comic and it's incredible like sound effects score everything yeah and that's what i find interesting i'm like okay i'm like audiobooks are yeah like more than just someone reading so yeah i'm totally into that and i definitely want to check that one out as far as what i've been watching recently um, I did hop onto a, another Scripps Gone Wild live read a couple weeks ago. So at the time that you are listening to this episode, this week I will be doing a drunk live read of Sleepaway Camp. I also Oof. did one a couple weeks ago, though. Um, I hopped on one last minute for Death Becomes Her. And so I hadn't seen Death Becomes Her like since I was a kid, so I rewatched it. And man, such a great movie. One, in the uh, live drunk read, Barbara Crampton was reading as Meryl Streep's character, which was fucking awesome. 
like just getting to read with Barbara Crampton was fucking just like super awesome. Um, but yeah, but then rewatching the movie though. Yeah. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, but I like remembered like, you know, the imagery, like I remembered the hole in the stomach and like her stretching her head up. I remembered those things, but I just hadn't, uh, actually rewatched the movie in a minute and it's so good. Like, it's just really fun. It has this weird sense of humor and this weird, like, uh, like style of dialogue, the way that everyone is delivering their lines It's just really quirky and fun. Like, I hadn't seen Bruce Willis like this before. I don't think he has any other performance like this one where he's just, like, doing it up in the, like, weirdest way. I don't know. I loved it, and I loved the horror elements. It's really funny because it's one of those movies I see people will post about on Twitter saying it's not really a horror movie. And I'm like these women are undead practically what is not like i mean that they're they're zombies essentially like death becomes her is kind of a zombie movie so yes it's a horror movie yes it's a comedy as well for sure it's a horror comedy but it's uh one of those movies i've seen people throw around challenging whether it's a horror movie or not and to me i say yes it is have you seen death becomes her I haven't, but uh, my friend uh, Kimber Bennis is a big fan of that movie, and uh, she's been trying to get me to watch it for ages. Uh, Sleepaway Camp I also recognize, but that's one of the horror movies that I saw once, and that was enough. I did already talk about Sleepaway Camp on the podcast recently, um, but it was like a first-time watch for me, like as a recent one, you know, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it, so I'm super excited for the live read. Um, but you know, it's worth checking out again, but since you haven't seen death becomes her, like highly recommend checking it out. Like, I mean, it's, uh, Robert Zemeckis and you know, him doing horror, like kind of has like a Tim Burton, uh, feel to it a little bit, like kind of just in the tone a little bit. For sure. I mean, I, I would definitely check that out, uh, probably way before I would check out Sleepaway camp again. Yeah, I don't know. Sleepaway Camp is fun, though, like, because I think it's it's definitely a lot more than just what it's known for, which is, uh, like, yeah, what I, I found that. surprising, it's, you know? like, I mean, it's just, it's purely a personal thing. I'm not going to judge anybody if they like it. Sure. I mean, I get why people like it. I get why people like Friday the 13th, even if I don't. I am not one of those people who will judge you if you like something that I don't, because I've got way too much things to do for that. Amen to that, brother. And with that, I think we are ready to go ahead and get into our movie conversation for the episode. So, the Halloween franchise started back in 1978, originally written and directed by John Carpenter. And uh, did Deborah Hill write on the first one too? Where's my, where's my? Wiki I think at? so. Yeah. Where's my wiki at? Uh, yeah. She also and Deborah Hill they uh, co-wrote the first and the second one with John Carpenter directing the original. Um. So this franchise it's been going on. It's still going on. Um. You know it's had its ups and downs. It has about three or four different timelines. Um. It has a a remake and remake sequel as well. Um, and then now as of recently, we got one of those 
rebootquels, I guess, <laughs> if that's what we're fucking calling them these days. Like, ugh. The 2018 Halloween movie, like, just the way that it exists frustrates me. Not the movie itself, because that movie, it's it's good. But, like, it, it... Anyways. So, we both rewatched a bevy of Halloween movies. And, um, you know, some were rewatches. Some were first watches, for me at least, for the first time. I don't know if you, like, watched any of them for the first time for this time uh, The first, first time for me was uh, Season of the Witch. Oh, okay, but we're going to skip Season of the Witch because come back to the podcast in two weeks, guys, and then we will be talking about Halloween Season of the Witch, but we are excluding that one from the uh, from this discussion because Michael Myers is not involved. Um, we're talking only the ones involving the big man. Sorry to let you down on that one, Nolan, but it is a great movie, <laughs> okay. right? It, it is pretty great. It's probably one of those underrated gems. Uh... I think I watched Halloween Resurrection also for the first time, but that was more hilarious than anything. Yeah, that's a, it's a movie, all right. <laughs> we'll we'll definitely say that. So yeah, so I mean, there's been just like all sorts of things when it comes to this franchise, and the original Halloween is credited as being, you know, one of the um, iconic slashers, you know, um, and it and for good for great reasons, it is. F- certainly a fantastic movie and then of course it just like birthed this character that people wanted more of they made one sequel and then they were going to be done with them but then they made season of the witch a lot of people didn't like it so then they brought michael myers back they did a slew of sequels they tried to mix in some weird shit to make it interesting and then they retconned those sequels and then brought jamie lee curtis back and then made two more, and then Rob Zombie made his, but now we're back on the original continuity, but only the first two. <sighs> so, lots to talk about <laughs> with this franchise. Um, so, to, to just, like, the way we'll jump in is, so, Nolan, what's your favorite of the Halloween series? What is your favorite movie? I mean, if I would I be a basic film bro if I said the original? No. I mean, th- we got to start somewhere. So why not start with the original? Um, what what about the original Halloween um, stands out to you? I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about how uh, horror is the most creative genre. That John Carpenter, I don't know if you know this about him, uh, he got into the industry to make westerns. And westerns died out. So they gave him a budget. He wrote Halloween. They made it with what they had in like 19, 20 days. And with so little, he creates one of the most memorable slasher movies in film history. And I think one of the best movies of all time. Like uh, that came out around the time Jaws was big and like every studio wanted their Jaws. And you could look as Halloween as being like Jaws set in a suburb. You know, instead of the shark, uh, you've got the shape. He's not even credited yeah. really as Michael Myers. He's the shape. Which... And I think actually John Carpenter did. He did take some inspiration from Jaws for that. And Jaws is my all-time favorite movie. So seeing that influence there, but in a slasher style, that's something I really love about it. And uh, I just love... I, I give credit to it because I cannot write villains like this. Weirdly enough, the villains that I find hard to write are the ones that are just evil and they're like forces of nature and things like that. I find them really hard to write, 
But when they are executed well, like the Shark and Jaws, like Michael Myers, even like a Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they are great. And it's something I would just love to learn to do. And rewatching Halloween just gives me confidence that I might be able to do that someday. Yeah, I would agree that, yeah, what is impressive about Halloween is the minimalism of it all. Um, It definitely has that energy of like that lightning in a bottle energy of the way that was made. And it was just something so different, at least for Western audiences, because like, you know, uh, in Italy and, you know, France and stuff, Jalo films were already going on, you know, they were already a thing, but then, you know, once this, the slasher craze caught on to American audiences, uh, specifically with like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas and then Halloween, sorry, I know a lot of people like to credit Halloween as like the, 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 the one, but you know, God give credit where credit's due to Texas Chainsaw and Black Christmas. But also Peeping Tom and Psycho from 10 years ago, they also helped. Those as well. That is also a good point. Thank you for hitting me on the classics. I always forget the classics. That's that's my horror blind spot right now. I mean, I've seen Psycho, obviously, but uh, the classics are my blind spot. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying. But... um. But yeah, I mean, I I didn't see the original Halloween until, oh, what was it, like six years ago, I guess, something like that, and um, I got to see it in theaters, which was pretty awesome to get to see it in theater for my first time, that that was pretty special, and, uh, but, and I felt, you know, the whole atmosphere of it all, and I enjoy Halloween because, I mean, it's not really about Michael, it, I mean, it is, but like you said, it's it's Jaws in a suburban setting, and it's kind of just playing on this idea of, you know, random acts of violence and, you know, the, um, the breaching of safety really is like just like the general thing going on for Halloween. And John Carpenter does so much with so little. I mean, it's just all very much in just, you know, coming up with clever camera work or you know, just like the fact that most of the movie takes place in daytime, which is really cool and was very different. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it was, it it innovated horror. It really did in just the way that it was in the way that horror was made. And it is also, um, you know, interestingly written as far as, um, you know, coming up with this villain that you can't really explain. And then apparently, you know, then they want to explain it, and then that's when things get hairy for the rest of the franchise. Um, you know, also a bunch of likable teens. I mean, Laurie Strode and her friends are, for that time, very well written characters. At least in my eye, anyway. Yes. So, guys, I don't get spicy on the podcast. This podcast is all about love. But this will be the closest to a negative episode that we're going to get. So I got I got things, guys. Don't get me wrong. Laurie Strode, I totally like, you know, she's great. Jamie Lee is great. I appreciate everything Jamie Lee has done. Um, I do appreciate Laurie. But like at the same time, I think that people overhype Laurie as a final girl. Um, I think it's like, you know, I think people just enjoy Jamie Lee so much. I think 
she kind of gets more credit than the actual character Lori does. Because I feel like there's a lot more final girls that deserve a lot more respect that they don't get that Lori does. I mean, Sydney Prescott is the one that jumps to mind for me when I think great final girl. She is, exactly. Because Sydney does a lot. She goes through a lot, but she also does a lot too. I'm sorry, Lori doesn't do too much. Between Halloween and then even into Halloween 2, she gets a little bit more to do, but she doesn't do much. She doesn't really have much to do until, like, I I admire Lori in H2O quite a bit. Like, that's whenever I'm like, okay, I'm on board with Lori Strode now, you know, just because of the history that was behind it. But in terms of, like, just, like, I don't know. Overall, it's because it's sticky with Lori because of the whole timeline situation, because now we negate you know, what Lori went through in H2O and Resurrection where she kills a a civilian person by accident and then has to fight Michael again. And um, it's just a whole lot of of things going on. But, you know, but since those movies don't count anymore, we're just sticking with Lori, old Lori now, in the 2018 Halloween and from the original two. I just 2018 one, she gets to do a lot more. And she does get to do a lot more then but it's like the what i've realized is the stuff that they were doing with lori in 2018 halloween i hate how we got to do the stupid years let me go ahead and get that rant out real quick too why did they name it halloween there's already a movie called halloween and then there's a remake called halloween and this one is not a remake it is still technically a sequel to halloween one and two you can't have a sequel named halloween to a movie named halloween I just think of it as like Star Trek 09. Most people refer to it as that. I just refer to it as Halloween 2018. I just hate it. It's lazy is what it is. It's lazy. But anyways. I mean, could you think of a title for that Halloween movie? Like, I mean. H4O? Like. Uh, H4O, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that I have an idea for it now. I'm just saying <laughs> that they. <laughs> And then Halloween. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the titles for the upcoming sequels. Oh, but... Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. <sighs> I would have, uh, yeah, yeah. I would have rather them went with Halloween Requiem, and for all <laughs> I, for all I care. <laughs> oh shit! Where was I going? I got derailed for a second. Uh, I was still bitching about Lori. Um. Oh, what she was doing in 2018 Halloween that people are praising that they're like, you know, we're dealing with Lori and trauma and PTSD and, you know, giving her agency and giving her, you know, stuff like that. You know who also did explore the trauma and PTSD of Lori? Rob Zombie. And I think he did it better with Lori Strode. That's the hot take of this episode. We will get into the Rob Zombie movies a little bit more here in a second. Uh, We'll go movie by movie. But, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I think people give 78 and 1981 Lori a lot of credit for not doing all too much. I feel it's because she's doing essentially what she can, and that character is sort of someone that the audience can sort of project themselves onto, so it makes the movie feel more real. I mean, those characters, 
once again, they're very tricky to write. It's the same with writing villains who are pure evil, writing a protagonist who is essentially like a blank page that the audience can project themselves to is very difficult. I mean, when uh, I'm writing a protagonist, I'm trying to make sure that it's a relatable character, but it usually ends up being some variation of sweet little nerd who's very kind and very naive and has to become a badass. So uh, See, I guess with Halloween and Laurie, it's like she, she's presented as this innocent type uh, naive character, but who kind of she kind of grows through her actions. I think like, you know, she you can see she's very protective over the kids. She's making sure they're safe. And I don't know, I feel giving Laurie a more defined arc and more traditional arc in that movie would make her less relatable. Yeah. I mean, what I realized between watching the movies is Laurie is a great, because, like, I'm thinking now, because it kind of gave me an idea for, like, I don't know, either an article or a video or I don't know how I want to dive into this, but, like, the different types of final girls. And, you know, and she is a great example of a symbolic final girl of this, like, I mean, she is the final girl, obviously, but, like, it's it's not about what she's doing and what she's going through, but about what her addition to the story represents, you know, because Mm -hmm. yeah, Lori, I guess is like it, because in the simplest of terms for the original idea of Halloween, it's pure evil versus pure innocence. So I, I see it. It's just like, yeah, like I love Sydney Prescott. She is fantastic. I love, uh, you know who doesn't get enough credit? Kirstie in the two, first two Hellraiser movies. She does quite a bit. Helen in Candyman. She does a lot. You know, I, I can just like, I feel like there's just a lot of Final Girls that don't get the same amount of praise that Lori gets when they should. For But they're different types of Final Girls, I suppose. It's not a Final Girl, but I feel also Andy Barkley kind of does that. He's kind of similar to Laurie, you know, very innocent, but he actually goes through shit and you see the PTSD of him throughout those movies. Yes. Oh, I mean, obviously, if you guys haven't listened to the Chucky episodes at the beginning of the podcast, please do. Um, I, I love talking that franchise. And yeah, Andy Barkley is such an interesting protagonist. And but yeah, but like, I think the only reason he I mean, I guess part of the reason he benefits versus Laurie a little bit more is because he was so much younger. So like you really do like he, we really do grow up with Andy Barkley. Literally. It's versus... like, imagine this movie if it was from the eyes of uh, Tommy Doyle and Lindsay. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole different experience, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about um, that hasn't been said about the original Halloween um, so let's go ahead and jump to Halloween 2. Um, Halloween 2 released in 19... 19- That's the most hilarious first kill of any slasher movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, so Halloween 2 released in 1981, written by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, directed by um, Rick Rosenthal. Rick Rosenthal would also return later to direct Halloween Resurrection. Two very different movies. Very, very different movies here. Um, But yeah, so Halloween 2, this was my first time watching it. Uh, I wasn't sure if I had seen it or not. And then especially the beginning 
did not help when we kind of get like a mini recap, but from different camera angles of Halloween one. I thought that was a weird choice. But then when I watched the rest of this movie, it like kind of made sense because like I talked about earlier, like um, this movie, I like Halloween two. I won't say it's a better film, like from a quality standpoint than Halloween, but I like it more because it has a little more style like and not and not more style than like John Carpenter and like the the way it is but specifically the way that they treat Michael Myers in the second one this is like as far as the not Rob Zombie Halloween movies go this is like my favorite uh Michael Myers here because it's just enough of like you know, like a little bit of the connection. Like I know you already said that you didn't like the brother sister connection between the two of them. Because that feels so pop pretty to me. Uh, I mean, I just don't. I mean, I guess I'm just in the middle about it. Like, I don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts the story at all. But at the same time, like, yeah, it doesn't add too much, and it goes against the the randomness of it all. I suppose. Maybe this is the writer side of me because anytime I'm thinking of writing a sequel to one of my stories with a new villain, something always first thing that pops into my head is, oh, they're related to the protagonist. And immediately I'm like, why am I thinking that? That is what, and you know why I think that? Because that's what every writer does when they can't think of a way to make them interesting outside of it. But is that what, but is that us thinking of that now because were they was that a cliche trope yet in 1981 i suppose not i mean i think it might have gone down better and when it came out so that's where it gets me and that's where i think people get like kind of hung up about like you know retconning that part um because like i think yeah like obviously looking back at now it's become such a ridiculous cliche and a you know kind of lazy writing out but at the time though i feel like i mean i don't know i i didn't really look back at like reviews from the time to see exactly how people were feeling about it but um but i don't know it, it it's whatever for me in, in that but yeah like okay you shouted out that first kill like i said there's so there's jalo influence all over this movie and i'm here for it like where Michael literally just pops out of thin air and then fucking kills and we get like some nice blood, like the way like the blood looks very jalo esque in this movie, and then they fucking mm-hmm. get the kill, zoom in just on fucking Michael's face and his eyes like bugging out, like, oh man. I w- and then so then it was at that moment, yeah, I was like, Okay, I'm gonna enjoy this one quite a bit. And I very much for a much second did. I thought you were referring to the other first kill, where a dude in a Michael Myers costume gets run down by a truck oh. and explodes. Oh well, yeah. I mean that's pretty great too, and I like that that is such a important part of the film too. Like it's not even like they threw that in there to be just like ridiculous. It actually like keeps coming up quite often throughout the film, which I find really funny. Um, yeah. Did... That was the boyfriend that Laurie was meant to be set up with in the original. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that <laughs> is that is true. Um, and I so... just find it so funny. I laughed out loud when I first saw that kill. 
Oh yeah, I think a lot of people have shouted that out as like a really funny, uh, funny kill in horror because it's just like it's it's very random and the way it happens, it happens in front of people and then just like the cops kind of have a nonchalant reaction to it. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. So, so Halloween two picks up. It's the same night, like it literally just takes place the the night of, which I love. I like that it's just like. Halloween 2 has this immediacy to it versus Halloween 1. Like, Halloween 1 is all about establishing this atmosphere. It's kind of slow. You're kind of seeping in it, you know? And then Halloween 2 is, like, jumping all over the place because you're kind of... It puts you, like, in the headspace of living in this small suburban neighborhood. You know, everyone knows each other. Something crazy has just happened. And now we're seeing, like, what's going on. Like, between the police and Loomis trying to track down Michael, you have Lori getting taken to the hospital, and then she's in the hospital, and no one else is in the hospital, seemingly. And then Michael obviously survives, and he is on the way to the hospital to finish off the job, and then he just starts mowing down people in the hospital. There's just a lot going on, and the way it hops around at first, I wasn't sure if I was about it. And then as the movie, like, just, like, kept growing on me, like, it's just really funny that this feels like a European Michael Myers movie for some reason. Yeah. I should probably check out more of those movies that you're talking about, because uh, I think the only European horror films I've seen are, like, the original Suspiria and uh, what's that one with cannibals? Uh, Raw, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, th- that style is something that I-, I mean, I can see it in like the Suspiria kind of angle. That's how a lot of those kills are done. But uh, that that's a genre I need to explore more. Yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on Halloween two as a whole? I mean, I can enjoy it for what it is. I think it probably would have been received way better if I was a kid in the eighties uh, liking it. I feel like if you watched this first, you probably like would have grown to know Halloween as that, and then thus the retcons might piss you off, but. As it stands now, I think it's I think it's a fine slasher movie. It's a worthy sequel to Halloween, and uh, I think. But I think the only thing that really makes it worth it for me is uh, Donald Pleasant's Sam Loomis, like his performance. You you see him in the big in the first movie as this like voice of reason between the Michaels being evil and everything. But, but and now he's getting one, squirrely. He's just going <laughs> pure nuts. And yeah. I just kind of love that. And that, that goes throughout the whole Halloween sequels. Donald Pleasance gets more and more crazy as the sequels go on. I think, yeah, I mean, Donald Pleasance is, uh, I think, a big reason that anybody continued on watching the Halloween sequels as they kept coming along. And yeah, I wish he brought that energy for Blofeld when he played him in the Bond movies, but there <laughs> we are. Right? Like, yeah, where were you at? He was, like, sleeping in that one. But yeah, I mean, he, he definitely, it is interesting, like watching this psychiatrist and like man of reason, like slowly descend into madness, you know, and, or you're just like questioning, was he already there as he's been taking care of Michael for the past 15 years? So it's like, it it is this interesting dynamic and we'll get to it in the Rob Zombie movies, how I like how they switched up Loomis big time for his movies. I prefer um, Loomis and the Rob Zombie ones, but we'll get to that one once we get there. Yeah, so it's interesting. It is it's it's interesting for sure. And um yeah, he he's definitely getting squirrely in this second one. Um I don't care for like, 
you know, all the other characters in the hospital, like all the nurses that are the horny nurses and who are just there to get killed. But, but even though I hate those characters and the scenes that are going on, their conversations, their kills were great. I'm glad that they were there to get slaughtered because there's some like really cool kills in this movie. Like, I mean, he fucking bleeds someone out, like just like lets them bleed out. We have, of course, you know, him lifting the nurse up with a knife. Fantastic. That's a good kill. Um, the the scene in the in the uh, hot tub like area, like not the hot I tub. I have to but question the... that. How can a hot tub get that hot that it kills somebody? Surely there's got to be a health and safety thing for that. I know. Why would a safety person ever like let it go that hot, but then just go, hey, don't make it that hot, though? It can get that hot, but don't do it. But at the same time, that's what they do with cars these days. Why do you? Why do they go up to 140 if we can't get that fast? Yeah. The other thing that I do find uh, interesting in this movie, uh, the guy who plays, uh, I can't remember his name, so I'm just going to call him the sexy nurse. Uh he was also, uh, I know him from The Last Starfighter, and I believe he was also Michael Brody in Jaws the Revenge. I think it's hilarious that he just fucking is done with the shit throughout the movie. He comes to his car and passes out on the horn, attracting <laughs> Michael Myers when Laurie is trying to hide from him. Oh, yeah. Like, he was just like, he, he was just like, man, is it worth it chasing after Laurie? And trying to trying to get in with her, like, is it worth it? And then he does, yeah. And then yeah, and that and that's that for him. Um, yeah, the 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 nurse characters are kinda they're just kinda whatever, you know. But they are there, they are very nice dead bodies. Um I like also the like organ addition to the theme on top of like Carpenter's thin since um Carpenter and Howarth also did the score for this one as they did for the first one and uh, I really like the switch up on it and how like perpetual the the theme is and it like um it just fits the hospital setting really well and I also just like love the hospital setting of it kind of being a little contained but at the same time like I said we're like kind of jumping back and forth between the hospital and the neighborhood um what were like some of the uh, additions that you really enjoyed uh, the score is another one that I really like. Uh, I like the whole 80 synth thing for it. Um, I don't know if you were like this when you were a kid, but uh, every kid I had in music class when we were in school would always be like, hey, look, I can play the Jaws theme on the piano. And then they just annoyingly punch those two keys together. I was one of those kids that was like, hey, listen up, fuckers. I went on there and I played the Halloween theme. Oh, nice. And it's like, it's... It's similar to Jaws. It's one of those themes that's like it's so simple but very effective. I do agree it does work very well with the hospital setting as opposed to the neighborhood setting from the previous movie. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like something, um, you know, just of the like very like empty, especially like the emptiness of the hospital. And and then adding the organ in it, it was like like this like empty auditorium type vibe. Um, there's, uh, again, maybe they were all social distancing. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, they were, they were, uh, social distancing plus the holiday too. So I guess that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. but, but again, I also just need to like shout out a couple more of the kills in this one. Cause again, like the kills, this is also, I think the most like creative and variety that we get from Michael 
you know, because then after this movie, it stabs from here on out. Like it's it's the syringe in the eye is probably my favorite kill of this syringe movie. in the eye. And then when he does the nurse, he knows to like put air into it, and he pumps air into her brain whenever he puts the syringe in her temple, and he pumps air into it. That's fucking like I've, whoa. I've always wondered what that actually does because I was quite confused when I watched Child's Play two for the first time and he yeah. stabs the teacher with the air pump. Like, what does that actually do to a person? Causes an aneurysm. Because oh, okay, so it's like a seizure kind of thing. Um, no, like an aneurysm. It's like more likely like bl- bust a vessel, or if you're putting air, it's like getting in between the membrane between your brain and your skull. And it's uh, it's supposed to be like very painful. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, just very painful. So I always thought that that was like a really interesting one. I was half expecting her eye to pop out. If I'm honest. Oh, that would have been cool. But I did like um, and also just like the framing of it because then you had like the glow and the light from the fish tank, and it was like putting this like wavy like effect on Michael, and then we get a head tilt in there. And I was like, okay. I was like, I see you, Michael. I was like, you got you got some skills. You got potential, kid. And then he and then he just gets he gets too attached to the knife. He really does like the 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 knife like lifting the nurse up. That's the last great kill that Michael had in in as far as knives go. Because like, okay, after that, I'm bored with you, man. Like, you need to switch yeah. it up. Uh, I I agree with that. I mean. That's also a problem I have with uh, Remake Freddy. All the kills in that movie are just stabby-stabby, whereas they were so creative in the original movies. And it's a similar kind of thing with Michael in this one. It's like uh, the knife works as like a minimalistic, effective weapon for the first one. But then once you're getting experimental in the second, going back, when you say that you're going back to the roots of the first one, they don't mean make it boring because they're trying to up the stakes while keeping the minimalism there. And it doesn't quite work. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't exactly work. It gets monotonous. It gets boring, just as the rest of this franchise does for a hot minute after season of the witch. Because I mean, I enjoy season of the witch quite a bit, but at the time, people did not. So then we take a break for a little while, and then they are like, okay. It's time to bring Michael Myers back. We bring Loomis back. I don't really want to really touch into many of these sequels as far as like four, five, and six goes. You know, things happen. I, Michael stabs people. I, I can mention one thing I like about them. Please. Uh, the whole thing with uh, his niece, that's probably how I would have written a Halloween movie or like a serial killer type movie. I, I, I think it's... uh interesting when you have a younger protagonist especially as young as that girl in a slasher film like it instantly gives it a lot more stakes because it's you know i think that's why it worked because you get really attached to those kids and you want to see them protected by pennywise it's and this movie's nowhere near good as it but it's a similar kind of feeling i mean i am i am all for the the trend with movies where your sequels in and then you're coming up with ideas and they go okay, we need a psychic kid now. It's either they're psychic or they're telekinetic, one of the two, always, because they did it with Friday the 13th. Um, they did it with some other movies as well. Like I think that's just like a super funny trope to do, just be like, okay, now, now we've got a psychic kid. 
I wonder how he would do that if Skeletons in the Closet ever became a series. <laughs> Suddenly, one of the queer kids is psychic. And it's like uh, the thing from Scott Pilgrim because they're a vegan or some shit. Or, or, or in a lot of cases because they're like either blind or in a wheelchair. That's usually yeah. how it goes. <laughs> I don't know where that trope came from, but it is hilarious. I think it's hilarious, too. And, you know, they try to come up with some ideas in the sequels. Eventually, instead of explaining Michael just being pure evil, they try to involve some cult shit. Now, y'all know that I'm always down for some cult shit, but it just made no sense here. Like, whatsoever. they were filming it without scripts. That's if, why it makes no sense. If they would have tied it in with the Silver Shamrock cult from Season of the Witch, then boom. Then that's all you had to do there. I would have been interested there. But they, they decided I, I to... I would have liked that, but it would mean you'd have to hear that fucking annoying jingle again. Oh my goodness. It, yeah, once that's in your head, it's stuck there. Just wait until that episode in a couple weeks, guys. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, there's some cool kills in the sequels, but they don't really make up for the... How, what is it, like four hours of really shitty writing? I mean, yeah, just shitty writing, shitty characters. Um, I mean, Six has an unhinged Paul Rudd in it, and he's, you know, having a good time. You know who's <laughs> playing that character in Halloween Kills? Who? Uh, our, our good friend Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, so I hope there is a scene where Michael is in a castle, stabs Anthony Michael Hall in the chest, and pushes him out of the castle. Oh, I'd be all for that. They also could have just got Paul Rudd to do it again. I mean, he's ageless. He uh, <laughs> he was uh, approached for it, but he was doing the new Ghostbusters movie. Oh, shit. I totally forgot Paul Rudd was in that. Well, all right. Well, I'll take Paul Rudd where I can get him. Um, oh, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd is a vampire. He needs to be in a full-on horror movie. Like, a real full-on horror movie. Obviously, he's done it, but he needs to come back. I would, I would buy that. Comedic actors are usually great in horror films. And Paul Rudd can be a really good dramatic actor. Like, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower as a teacher, he's really great. Would you rather him be the protagonist or a villain? What kind of villain Oh, I'd Paul like to Rudd see Paul play? Rudd play a bad guy. That'd be really but fun. what? Um, I don't know. What? I, I mean, if he was in the new Scream movie, I'd like to see him as Ghostface. I mean, uh, we we could do better for Paul. Not that I'm sorry. Not not that it, make him the new Freddy Krueger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just dances all the time. He's just dancing always. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, I would watch. I'd watch Paul Rudd, Freddy Krueger right now over any of the Halloween sequels, um, at least four, five, and six. I mean, yeah, because, again, the only thing that you're there for at this point are you want to see Michael do the stabby stuff, and you want to see Loomis run around and lose his mind. Yeah. Uh, the I remember there being one cool kill in Halloween 4, I think it was, where he electrocutes a guy and then his head blows up. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, that is fun. Um, you know, and the thing is like, I'm not, it's, I'm even fine with the stabby stabs if he just even got more, I don't know, creative with that. Cause I'll get to that in the Rob Zombie movies here in a minute. 
Um, did you want to touch on H2O or Resurrection? You said you watched Resurrection for the first time, so let's touch on those two a little bit. Um, what are your feelings on H2O? So we have Halloween, we fast forward, um, which would be uh, to 1998 when the movie came out because it was 20-year anniversary, and they said all those sequels, they never happened. Um, now we are picking up after the original Halloween 2 that is where we're picking up for this. And we are trying to see the um, effects of the trauma and PTSD of Lori. Um, Lori's a mom and a headmistress of an academy. And, of course, she's still dealing with the ghost of Michael Myers. Um, what uh, What's your thoughts on H2O? There's a lot of good ideas in it. Uh, I think for the most part, it's a decent movie. It's kind of similar to how I feel about Halloween too. It's something I'd happily watch if it was on. There are a lot of fun things in it. Uh, I love that one shot where Laurie's looking at Michael through the fucking window. I imagine that was used in like a lot of trailers. Uh, I like how it brings the whole thing to a nice end. Uh, unfortunately they had to go and ruin that with what happened in resurrection. Uh, but H2O, I think, yeah, it's not great, but it's not terrible either. It's like, uh, I'd say it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's definitely underneath Halloween one and two, but it's better than the sequels at least. And yeah, they do some good work with Lori here. And I think this is where, cause like, I mean, I think it'd be weird, but I feel like people give Lori like, they wouldn't give Lori as much credit as a character as a whole if H2O didn't happen, even though people like to shit on H2O. But peop- it, but H2O is definitely, yeah, it's it's got good ideas. Um, the third act is fantastic. Like, the showdown between Lori and Michael is really fun. Like, it's a really great showdown between the two of them. And yeah, like you said, like, they give a good ending but then, of course, studios get greedy and they see, um, you know, the success of meta horror going on. So then they go, ah, fuck. Well, we got to do that, too. We got to get somewhat meta as well. And Resurrection just uh, happened. I mean, could we just summarize Resurrection with Busta Rhymes, really? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's, uh, that's, trick or treat, motherfucker. Yeah, and trick or treat, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it's actually surprising that it took that long for there to be a trick or treat one liner in the Halloween franchise. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll only watch that movie in the same way I would watch, like, The Room or uh, Sco- the Scooby Doo movies or something like that. If I just want to turn my brain off and laugh at stuff and funny lines and shit. But it's it's a bad movie. It's terrible. Yeah, it's uh it's not good. It's not good at all. Um H2O. The mask is way too white for a start. Oh yeah, yeah. It's super weird. It's like the same way as it was in Halloween four. Halloween four has a really funky mask that I just like can't jive on. Oh god! It just it, it it clashes too much. It makes him look like the fucking Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, a little bit. If you if you just cut it, cut the a, a fourth of it off, would be the same shit, same vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So then they finally 
people um, did not like Resurrection, and people still don't. So they put Michael Myers down for a good long while. And then, 2018, he's back. Again. And the timeline's fucked. Again. (laughs) So, 2018, we get a new Halloween movie. Um, and it, they say, okay, 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 we're retconning some more shit. All the sequels, besides two, or no, no, besides, or even Halloween original two didn't happen. They say, all the sequels, all of them, none of them happened. This is a sequel to the original Halloween. And, um, it was good. It's a good movie. It's really solid. Uh, 2018... It was directed by, um, what's his face? David Gordon Green. David Gordon Green. Um, everybody was like, whoa, Daniel McBride's writing on this too. Like, that's kind of interesting and weird. And um, you see you see the sprinkles of that here and there in there. Um, but yeah, so we have an older version of Lori. She is dealing with all the trauma and PTSD. You know, we've done this. Um, we've been around this bank but we're doing it now with with old Jamie Lee and uh they made her like this like survivalist like lady where she's disconnected with her family her family's kind of she's had daughter and her daughter's had daughter and um you know she's very disconnected I mean after all these years after 40 years people are just like Lori why can't you get over this like, I mean, you're never going to get over something like that. I think that's kind of like the whole thing that they're trying to go with in this movie is like 2018. It's about being a survivor. Um, they tried to shift the focus back onto um, Lori, though they do still play with some of the same ideas um, of Michael Myers as they did in the sequels that we don't get to explore here where we get like some fucking podcasters and a wannabe Dr. Loomis. Um, that podcaster is literally had the worst idea I've seen anyone have in a horror movie. Why would you bring his mask to him? That's like that's like going to visit Jeffrey Dahmer and being like, yo, I got a treat for you. Cannibal Holocaust. I'll bring the fucking popcorn. I mean, I guess it's, they they pretty much started it. I guess they, like, you know, woke his, his evil and his brain back up. And um, the movie is, like, it's kind of like a back-to-basics, but with some twists. They flip a lot of scenes from the original Halloween to be like, oh, hey, look, it's the other way around. They did that. Um, which is, but they, the ways they do it, it does work. Um, I'm, I'm kind of cynical about this movie just cause like I did enjoy it, but I did not think it was like incredible. Like a lot of other people thought it was. Um, but I thought it was like, okay, yeah, this works, but this is this still the same stuff just in a different package and just kind of shifting some pieces around. I don't know. Am I am I am I being too harsh on this movie? Uh, no, I think those criticisms are totally valid. Uh, me and my brother have a talk about this. Uh, we feel um, because my brother is a big fan of the Rob Zombie ones, and I'm a big fan of the original. We kind of view this movie as like a happy medium between the two. It's got the minimalism of the original with the brutalness of the uh, Rob Zombie ones. 
not as brutal as Rob Zombie, but like there's a lot of graphic stuff in this. Yeah, no, I would and, I would totally agree. Yeah, it's like it kind of sits somewhere in the middle. And that was one thing I, I meant to shout out, like something that I did like. I mean, I did like the brutality of it, even though too many of the kills were off screen for my liking. We would get like a lot of lead up and then we would get like a gory reveal. And I mean, that works for some people. But I, I hate like off screen kills. Yeah, I do, too. I like and I like the brutality, though. Like, this one does feel a little bit more brutal. But when we get to the Rob Zombie movies, we'll talk about that. Um, My fave kill in this one, I'm curious if it's also yours. Uh, the scene with the motion lights. That's just a really good, effective bit of horror right there. Yes, it is my favorite kill. Um, it's just a it's, it's a really fun sequence. Um, th- what I kind of like about the 2018 is some of the the way that they do the kills they do each kill like a mini like it's like almost like a mini short film the way that they do each kill like they we don't have as many of the random kills that just like kind of happen but I do like the way that they kind of you can tell that they the writers have backgrounds in comedy because they write all of the kills like you know a setup payoff setup payoff like they write all the kills kind of like jokes in the way that they film them into these like little moments that are their own things. So I, I can appreciate that a lot. And the creativity with the motion sensor lights was pretty, was pretty cool. And everyone on the podcast knows I love it. When you kill them kids, kill them all. Fuck them kids. I mean, that kid, especially he was a fucking creep. Oh, yeah, he, he, like, at first you, like, think he's an okay character, and then it's like, no, of course he is that that teenager that we all do know, like, uh, they pose as the best friend of the girl, but then as soon as the girl dumps the boyfriend there to try to fucking swoop in and be weird and shit. Um, I do like the final shot of this movie a lot, like, uh, three generations of survivors. I think that's a really cool, uh, you know, a picture speaks a thousand words kind of thing. Yeah, I'm into the I am into the generation stuff, uh, especially like the way that the the way that the final showdown kind of happened. Um, I didn't love how all the women made it to the house or ended up there, but the fact that they all all were there and that whole final sequence of like Lori home aloneing Michael Myers to death. It's very home aloney. I mean, yeah, and um, I definitely, I love the, and that's one of the strongest aspects of the film, too, is the performance by um, all three of the ladies. I mean, fucking give me Judy Greer in anything. I absolutely fucking love her. Um, Judy Greer is someone I want to see be a bad guy. Because she's so sweet and, like, innocent looking that her as a villain would be terrifying. That would be interesting. It's like a, like, sadistic, like, suburban housewife or something. Something think, like that, yeah. I think that could work. And then um and then you have the granddaughter as well, um Andy uh, how do you say her last name? Machacek. 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 Something like that. Machacek. Yeah. And uh she's very good as well. They're all they're all um they all work really well together. They have great dynamics and like I said again, like I do like the they kind of flips, you know, they they do some of the flips from the original Halloween for like comedic uh relief in in this one with like 
uh, having the granddaughter and then Lori across the street. I always think that's yeah, just that like fun. really hilarious. Um, yeah, and then we have just this really cool showdown at the end where it's like they you know stick it to Michael and then they burn him down in in the house. But then we all were wondering how um you know they were gonna continue on or if that was or if they were just gonna leave that being the end of the franchise. I like I would the have little... been fine with it if that was the end. That would have been a great ending. I would have too. I I. I came out of that thinking like, hey, that's a good end to this. But in my brain, I go, this is going to make a lot of money. This is totally not the end. So I did know that. But then I, I do like the teaser that they did um, to kind of tide us over for a minute of like showing the fire department going back to like put out the fire of the house. So it's like that's how Michael's going to survive. And and um, we'll see how the franchise continues on. From here. If movies ever start happening again, yes, we'll see it. Yeah. It's like they're trying to film stuff, but then a lot of sets are getting shut down quickly if they are like these bigger movies. Like, we're still going to get new movies, is the thing. Because there's a lot of indie movies that are shooting right now. And they are, you know, just like keeping very close sets and um, small crews and stuff like that. But like, as far as like movies like this and the studio movies, yeah. Who knows what we're going to get as far as studio movies go going forward. But we'll, we'll see, I guess. We shall see. We definitely shall see. So um, the part that I've been most excited for for this episode is to I talk. I see that glimmer in your eye. Is to talk the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Back in the early 2000s, most horror movies were getting the remake treatment. And of course, Halloween was not an exception. In 2007, we get Rob Zombie's take on Halloween. And people felt a lot of ways about it. I mean, I remember just like people, I I just remember the word of mouth and like hearing people talk about it. Because obviously, like, I mean, there was some internet discourse going on, but not a ton. And people just felt very strongly. And this was in a time where I felt like people didn't know what they wanted from remakes because people couldn't decide if they wanted it to be like, you know, like sticking to the original, doing a lot of stuff from the original, just like kind of updating it and doing that. Or if you want to take an idea and put your own twist and put your own take on it. And Rob Zombie, at least from what I can tell from these two movies, tried his best to do both. Like he, and I think that that's kind of, but also might be the bane of these movies as well, of him not being able to like merge them like he wanted to. So I quite enjoyed the first, I enjoyed the first one more than the second one, but the second one is still interesting to me as well. So this first one, people, Rob Zombie did what everyone says not to do which is to over-explain the villain, give the villain a backstory, and because they're worried that you're going to then humanize the villain. And I think Rob Zombie was able to still provide a backstory and provide and create a character out of Michael Myers, but while still not humanizing him whatsoever by the actions throughout the film. It's very, it's very interesting to me. So what do you, and, uh, and I've been, 
and I've just been really getting into Rob Zombie's films this year, oddly enough. Like, I had seen Lords of Salem a few years ago, but this year is, like, me watching, like, all of his other films. And, um, you know, the, the horror community confuses me on how their strong opinions on this film. So, like, what uh, what's your opinion on the Rob Zombie remakes? How old were you when you first saw them? 26 now. I was 12 years old when I first saw Rob Zombie's Halloween. It was the first ever Halloween movie I saw. And it scared the fuck out of me. Because it, it, it has this feeling of like a true crime documentary almost. It's dirty, it's grimy, it's fucking... I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's an unpleasant experience for me. That's probably the thing I can take away from it. And, uh, I mean, I, I agree with the whole thing about making Michael a more interesting character. Like, I'm down for that. But my only issue with that is he feels like a different character completely in the beginning than he does at the end. Like, at the end, it just feels like, okay, we've forgotten about a lot of this. He's just going to go back to doing Michael stuff that you know him from, but it's going to be a bit more violent. Whereas they had something really interesting in the beginning with uh, Dake Furch uh, playing the young Michael. I remember being terrified of that kid. I mean, especially the first kill where he kills the spy kid. Yeah, with the big right. tree branch. I remember that death severely like traumatizing me as a young kid. Yeah. Like the way he's begging for his life and he's bleeding from his nose. And I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't be watching this movie. Oh, man, like, I mean, this movie is brutal and violent, and, I mean, I love it. I love the way that Rob Zombie, like, depicts the violence of Michael and, like, makes it interesting when, okay, like, you're not, if, you know, if you're just gonna, like, you know, do stabs and, like, break people's necks and shit like that, this is how you do it, and I do really enjoy that, and, yeah, I can see what you mean by, like, by the end, there is definitely, like, a lot less there. And it's, like, obviously, you they gave us, like, some of the development into it. Like, you know, you see, like, after the initial killings, like, when he's in the hospital, he's, like, kind of slowly going into that place. But we still, yeah, never really see, like, more of a progression. We just skip from, you know, him being 12 to, you know, like, 15 years later. And then he's just, yeah, like, what... But the the way that they go about it and, like, you know, they they do the whole nature versus nurture and, and Loomis's whole thing is, like, it was, like, the perfect blend of elements of, like, what was already there inside of him. But then those events triggering that and him going even deeper and further into that dark place that's already there. So, yeah, like, what they did with Dag Furch, who now is a rapper, uh, goes by Great Dag. Um, of course he, he is. He uh, did extensive work in the theater, and then he said, nah, fuck it, I'm gonna go be a SoundCloud rapper. His music is uh, interesting. I mean, it's not bad. I'll say it's not bad, but it's not good either. But uh, that's what he's been up to, if you've been wondering. Um, I also think it's funny that in that the beginning. I would expect him to be in like a rock band or something. He looks like the lead singer from yeah. Erasmus. Yeah, he looks like a metal guy for sure. But now nah, he's he's all about he's all about thugging it out. It's pretty funny. 
<laughs> I, I mean, for better or worse, I mean, I can't really hate this movie for what it is. I mean, it is Rob Zombie's Halloween. I mean, you know that if you're signing up to watch it. Exactly. Like, that is and so true. Like, for a Rob Zombie Halloween, I think, yeah, it works. Like, like I said, he did his best to do the best of both worlds of, like, paying homage, but then also putting his twist on it. And, like, for this one, like, like one, of course, like, I do love his style. Like, so Rob Zombie was able to do this after the success of The Devil's Rejects. And then, so a big studio was like, you know what? Why not give him the keys to the car? You know what? Why not? And he switches, he pays homage where we need to, but then he switches some things up. So like Loomis is kind of, they they go harder into the angle of him exploiting Michael Myers and these tragic events. They go deeper into that, especially in the second film. They like really go far into that. And you really don't like Loomis in either of these films. Like, even when he does, like, help Laurie at times, you still don't really like Loomis. Like, he, uh, played by Malcolm McDowell, because of course, um, which I also got to shout out, like, the, the Rob Zombie cast, because, you know, I love all the people that he brings into work. Um, we have, uh, Tyler Maine portraying the older, uh, Michael Myers, and I shout him out and not the other actors, because I feel like, this is where we actually do get a Michael Myers performance out of like the killer Michael. Like, I don't know if you agree there. He's a great physical actor. I mean, the only other thing I know him from is uh, he was Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. Yeah. But I I love physical acting. I've got like a, I've gotten more of an appreciation for it lately. Uh, One of the things, I don't know if you've seen me talking about this, but uh, in 2017's The Mummy, I think Sophia Botella is a great choice for the mummy because she's a great physical actress. You've seen that in Kingsman, but they completely wasted her in this. But in this movie with Tyler Maine, his physicality really adds to the intensity of Michael Myers. And that's something I can appreciate. Yeah. Like he has this, like obviously has a very imposing frame. Um, he's great in the uh, X-Men as well. And yeah, I absolutely love physical acting. Speaking of physical acting and Sophia Botella, if you haven't seen Climax yet, you need to, because <laughs> uh, you will love that one. Then, if you love Sophia and her physical acting, that's a that's a movie, all right. Um, but anyways, yeah, like he brings a lot to like the intensity and like yeah, like I just actually feel like there is a person under the mask, and I think that is also in part because half the movie is showing like you know the the events of younger Michael when that put him into the psychiatric hospital and like what happened like on him killing his family that night and like, you know, showing that he was bullied and came from a, you know, tumultuous household and, you know, a lot of the typical things. I'm not saying that like he got that Rob zombie got like in depth or anything or was treading new ground, but he did enough to give some I mean, character is, to him this is not taxi driver really though is exactly. it? it's not the king of comedy it's exactly. a, essentially it's a true crime documentary posing as a slasher film that's what i see it as it, you know and now that i kind of think about it there is some interesting parallels between this movie and joker in the way that they um portray this uh <laughs> creation of a monster now that... i'm just imagining tyler main michael myers dancing down the stairs to gary glitzer <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, so funny. 
Um, but yeah, like he he did Rob Zombie. He did what was there and what he needed to do in order to make it effective later for what he was really trying to do, and which is we'll get into that with the second one here in a minute. Um, but one. I really love, I know a lot of people don't, I love Sherry Moon Zombie. I think she has, like, a very great presence, specifically for doing Rob Zombie movies. Um, I She would stick out as a sore thumb in a lot of other movies. But here she's not being, like, as crazy. She's actually acting in this one. And I always enjoy her presence. I also got a big-ass crush on her. She's hot as hell. And, um, I'm all for it. I'm all for Sherry Moon Zombie in this one. Dag Furch is also like, yeah, he puts in a really good performance as young Michael and, and Malcolm McDowell as well with his interactions with him. Um, Rob Zombie pulled out some of the best acting in any Halloween movie that there has been, especially this first one. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I don't like this movie as much as I like the original, but I can appreciate it. And, this is something that annoys me about the horror community. It is probably the most accepting community on film, Twitter and shit like that. But there's this weird like conservatism around it sometimes where it's like, oh, bloody and graphic and gory automatically means bad. And I'm like, well, no, there's an artistic way to do that. And I think Rob Zombie's not doing this just to be like shocking or anything. He's got a rhyme and reason for it. I mean... I've seen true crime documentaries that are about as horrifying as this movie. So whereas John Carpenter was more interested in like the minimalistic mystery of Michael Myers, this is essentially like what if Michael Myers really did exist in our world? Yeah. And for that, it works. Yeah. And I think there were just like, it was one of those fandom things where we got something and then it was, you know, you have this, passionate fandom behind Michael Myers and the Halloween franchise of saying no that's just not what we wanted not not because it's bad just because it's not what they wanted and I feel like that's where a lot of the hate comes if you're not into the violence that's fine if you can't get past Rob Zombie dialogue I get it (laughs) like he his dialogue I think it's hilarious a lot of the times um, I think there's uh, I think there's some really funny, uh, he always has some really funny lines. Like, the fucking, the kid, when he's bullying uh, young Michael at the beginning, just seeing the spied kid uh, ask someone or say to someone, I heard they had to pump the cum out of her stomach. Like, I was just like, Ugh. It's disgusting. Man, you have fallen far, kid. I was like, that is disgusting. But like hearing a teenager say that and like the way that was used, like, I mean, the fucking the Ronnie guy, uh, fucking uh, Mikey's mom's boyfriend. I mean, he was just fucking disgusting. Like, but I mean, also me being from the Midwest, I've seen these people. These people aren't caricatures like I these people exist. You know, so it's like people exist in Scotland, my friend. Imagine that, but with a Scottish accent. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I I don't know if I'd be able to handle that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, so it's like people even criticize these characters and like, oh, the people don't talk like that. And I'm like, you know what? People actually do, (laughs) you know? And so I don't know. Like, I, I totally get when people, when Rob Zombie's vibe is not for them. 
and yes, if that is like just your whole basis for not enjoying this movie, that it's like, hey, um, I just don't enjoy Rob Zombie style. It's just not for me. It's like, cool. I get it. But like, as far as like really knocking the quality of this film, I think it's kind of hard. Like, cause I, I like it, it does get a little bit kind of boring in uh, the crossover between the past and now the present. The crossover is a little bit wonky, but then once the third act starts and the fucking like action starts and here, I love this version of Laurie Strode um, played by uh, fucking uh, Scout Taylor Compton. St- Scout Taylor Compton. Thank you. Um, I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, and she's even better in the second one. She's like, she gets a lot to do in the second one, but here, I mean, even here we see a little bit more agency and we see her kind of go through a little bit more. She has this brutal showdown with Michael. I mean, but really it's just Michael just beating the shit out of her. She somehow comes out of it, you know, and then we will see the effects of that um in the second one but um I really enjoyed um Scout's acting in it I really enjoyed her dynamic with her version of Tommy Doyle they had a really great rapport and then like just like once it kicks in like um I was I was truly invested and like she really sells the like pain and just like the shock of it all of like what's going on and just like reacting to this brutality um, like when the, the sequence, when they're like trapped in the house is, uh, really fun. And then it like keeps on going on after that as well. Um, I don't know. I really, I really, really enjoyed, uh, this movie overall. I, I enjoy it for what it is. It, it's something where, uh, if someone wanted to watch it for like a horror night or something, I'd be like, yeah, sure. But it, it probably wouldn't be my first choice if I was, like, designing a horror night or something. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And, again, it's, like, this is... And, and what I love about this is, like, my argument for a lot of remakes. It's, like, hey, you can appreciate both of them for different reasons. Like, just because one of them exists doesn't mean you have to choose one or the other, you know? Because I do enjoy both of them in different ways, and so do you. So it's like, obviously, you can have a remake and enjoy it for what it offers you. Like, yeah, because it's two different moods on between, hey, I want to rewatch John Carpenter's Halloween versus, hey, I want to rewatch Rob Zombie's Halloween. You know, I'll com- take this kind of horror remake over something like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which is just boring and dull. Boring. Outside of Jackie Earl Haley's performance. Boring. You know, they tend to be boring or just like kind of doing the shot for shot remakes and like and that's where this movie falters is when Rob Zombie is trying to do the homages to the original. When Rob Zombie is doing his own thing in the movie, it works out way better. It's the times when he has to take time aside to and he's doing that for the fans, you know, more than anything going, you know, oh, if I don't do this, they'll kill me. So here, let me throw in this kill. Uh stabs up stabs him up against a wall. Got to throw it in there. You know, like so many of the scenes where they were paying homage to the original, but like any time it was Rob Zombie's Halloween happening, and I don't know if that was because he did it to for the fans or if it was the studio, you know, being like, "Hey, make sure you include this." It's probably a mix of both, to be honest. Yeah, because you know the thing is, Rob Zombie he loves horror, 
and he has like the utmost respect for it and you can obviously tell that he loves the Halloween franchise and cares about the character and just like really wanted to do something interesting and so that leads me to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 released in 2009 um I will preface that I had to watch the regular theatrical cut I didn't watch the unrated version like I wanted to because that the unrated one has like 16 extra more minutes I don't know if you've seen the unrated one versus I have um, seen the unrated one. one. It's uh, how Rob Zombie's Halloween Two is weird. It is. It's really fucking weird. It's very weird. It gets like progressively weirder. Like, cause I was the first half of the movie, I was super locked in. Like, I liked the way that they picked it back up and sped through the homages to Halloween Two, which I didn't think was even necessary, anyways. But it made for like a fun dream sequence at the beginning where we see Laurie dealing with this PTSD two years later after the events of his Halloween. And we see like pretty much what happened at the end of her movie, like or or maybe a version of it. But she sustained all these crazy injuries. I mean, fucking Michael put her through hell and just like them showing that and like showing like the this state that she was in whenever they were taking her into the hospital and the way that the neighborhood and media was reacting to it um it felt very real like i it just felt very authentic and then and it made sense for cuz i hate it whenever people do a thing and they're like oh look it's a dream sequence uh that's the twist it's a dream but then it's like kind of just like oh you're just doing that just because but here it makes sense that she would be having these fucking nightmares about what happened to her to show the trauma that she's dealing with halloween 2 2009 also has a thing in it where i mean if you thought loomis was a dick in the first one he just doubles down in this one i mean one of my favorite scenes is the whole thing where he's like michael myers is fucking dead in that sort of Malcolm McDowell accent that's uh I probably could have done better to be honest but uh <laughs> no that was that was actually pretty close like d e a d dead he's got one of those really hard to nail iconic voices that's something that I have to work on yeah but i mean yeah they definitely ramp loomis up big time and like you know He's written a book and like um, people are the victims are coming forth and blaming him and talking about him cashing in. And you really do see that it like kind of doesn't give a shit like at, at this point he because he's believed that, you know, Michael Myers is lost. So he's already kind of just like over it and he's just doing what he's got to do. And then it's like they try to at the end, like get him to help Lori. But even by that point, I was just like, man, fuck him. But they they speed through, you know, catching us up to Lori um, and what she's dealing with with the PTSD. She's staying with um, with her best friend who, you know, also went through all the all the same shit that she did, which I also appreciated that they fun uh, bit of trivia there for Annie. She yeah. is played by the Danielle same actor Harris. who played the. Fucking, what's the name? Uh, the, the niece in Halloween 4 through 6, I think. Yep. He, uh, Daniel Harris is the actress that portrayed Jamie in the other Halloween sequels. And here she plays Annie, 
And uh, we also have um, Brad Dorif playing Annie's dad, Sheriff Lee Brackett, which is fucking awesome because Brad Dorif is I, also always I, a win. I just replayed his scenes and I try to imagine Chucky saying the lines. It, it squeaks out a few times, you know. You definitely hear it like squeak out a little bit here and there. Um, and I, and I also, love that. How, how cool must that be for Scout Taylor Compton, who was a big horror fan at the time? Like, oh, I get to be in a movie with Brad Dourif, Malcolm McDowell, and all these, like, horror legends. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the same thing for, like, Dag as well. Like, being a kid, and it's like you get to fucking star in a Rob Zombie movie, and fucking you're on screen fucking killing kids and shit. Like, it's fucking, like, yeah, that's, like, so fucking cool. Um, But, yeah, like, they really dive into Lori's psyche in this movie, as we see her, like, literally just, like, going crazy from the trauma that she's dealing with as Michael also returns. And what I think is, like, super cool that they really had her, like, transforming into, like, Sherry Moon, you know? Because, obviously, um, they went with the, this is Michael's sister, and um, she's actually Angel Myers. And, and here, that connection plays in a little bit more than it did before and you know it makes sense it does for sure i mean uh i think the sister brother thing works a bit more in this movie because this like, series of halloween movies because it ties into the whole thing of michael moore it doesn't feel like a twist ending that's meant to be shocking it actually feels like it's been given proper development Although there are points in this movie where i feel like rob zombie is just testing out images for his band's album covers <laughs> With the white horse and shit. Yeah, so like once the dream stuff starts coming in and all the hallucinations and, you know, and like how much of that was even real in the finale when like she's just like, and I mean, I guess it wasn't real because it is like, you know, Loomis tried to tell her like it's on her brain, like whenever she's like in a showdown with fake Michael Myers in her brain, um, it's it's a lot to handle. I mean, I think I'm, like, in it for what they represented, but, like, just, like, none of this stuff was established in the first one, so it just, like, didn't feel right in this one. Like, if he would have established some of that weirdness in the first one, then yeah, sure, let's, uh, let's go for it, you know? And I also didn't like how in this one we get footage of little Mikey, but it's not Dag, it's some other fucking kid. Yeah, it's because I think Dag had gotten too tall. I don't care. It would that would have made sense for Michael Myers' character. He gets fucking huge. That would have made perfect sense. Ah, uh, well, you get a kid who's trying to look like Dag Furch. And then like that kid, he was like too charismatic, and I was like, whoa, 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 who are you? You're talking way too good and too much. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Yvonne yeah. Taylor criticizing kid actors since I don't know when were you born? Since 1994, yeah, fucking, because uh, I will say like you know Rob Zombie. That was one thing I did want to say about uh the first one. Like uh, I guess like because I've heard Rob Zombie is just like a super sweet guy in person, and I've like watched him in interviews. And I totally get like, and I was like, oh, like the performance he got out of Day for Little Mikey. I was like, I was like, Rob Zombie's pretty good with kids. Like, and that's, like, kind of cool. 
I just like think that's kind of cute to think about is like Rob Zombie like on his knee like directing children but then like also like being like okay now you're gonna fucking kill this bully with a tree branch <laughs> he's like that cool uncle that every kid likes to visit straight up oh man yeah that would have been so fucking cool totally jealous um halloween 2 just a few more things i want to shout out randomly that i see in my notes one how do you what like what's up with movies wasting octavia spencer like geez louise give this woman a good horror movie to be in i mean ma was interesting but she still deserves better but like also just like yeah they just wasted the hell out of her in this one two mountain man michael it's a uh it's an interesting look uh, it something about it doesn't feel Michael Myersy, and he also looks too much like a roided up Rob Zombie. And I'm like, what are you trying to do here, Rob? <laughs> and three, he probably smells bad too. Oh yeah, he. Oh man, what that beard and smells like. Oh god, oh god. And then three, my favorite piece of Rob Zombie dialogue in this is whenever um. What's her face is leaving the concert with the wolf boy and they're going back to the van. They're talking and then she goes blow job. You're still calling them that these days. And he goes, uh, yeah, what are you calling? And she's like, well, I call it sucking a dick. And I was just like, I was like, what do you mean these days? That was in 2009 and I still call blowjobs blowjobs. Or am I a weirdo? Do we not call them blowjobs anymore? Because now it just makes me think I'm crazy. That, I don't even know how to respond to that. (laughs) It was Uh, so random. Like, Rob Zombie's dialogue is just so, like, I'm like, what are, like, what are you coming up with this and like that whole the whole scene at the strip club just the entirety of that was just a lot (laughs) yeah that that's the part where i understand if people aren't into rob zombies movies because there's some scenes like that which get a little bit too mean-spirited for my taste yeah exactly like was that necessary but i mean ooh, but that kill though like of him just throwing her face up against the fucking mirror over and over again i mean that's pretty it's it's pretty fucking gnarly and cool looking, but <laughs> don't 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 hurt your. I do your... love mirrors, kills, and horror movies. Yeah, like they they it's cool, but don't hurt your neighborhood strippers, guys. Your neighborhood, uh, sex dancers, sex worker dancers. Don't don't hurt them. <laughs> but yeah, Rob they're Zombie. Just trying to make a living. They're just trying to make a living, but Rob Zombie Two it wraps up with yeah, just a like there's like it's the the finale of this almost gave me epilepsy <laughs> like this is like when they like did the real like rob zombie crazy editing which usually works for me but just i guess like i said like for this one that this one feels just like so much like so not in the same tone and like groundedness of the first one but like we have just this like finale where uh, Lori is battling Michael in her mind, but then also there, and Loomis is trying to help her, and um, and then basically Lori just fucking she does go crazy, and then uh, I would have liked it if he would it, like, cause like at the end she gets like shot in, in this like crazy shootout, which I do love the imagery of them like shooting out Michael, and then I would have been like they should have killed Lori. I was like you went all in, Rob Zombie, just take it home now kill Lori 
I mean, that would have been a good ending because uh, I do remember there was talks of him getting to make a third Halloween movie. That oh, would have been a 3D, well, that's why. Which I'm kind of glad didn't happen. Oh, well, that's why he was keeping her alive then. If they were, if he was holding out hope for a third one, which I would totally, uh, yeah, no, I totally would take a third Rob Zombie Halloween. And then this time now he goes full fever dream. Like, so the first one was grounded, second one's like half and half, and then third one, okay, now we're going straight into Rob Zombie's hell. <laughs> yeah, but alas, he just went on to do Lords of Salem and then whatever else he's doing now. He did uh, he did Lords of Salem, he did uh, 31, and then he did 3 from Hell. So I want to see, like, now that he finished his Three from Hell trilogy, like, I want to, I'm excited to see him do something, like, original, like, another original something, or or maybe him take on, like, a big, uh, like, big name, like, for a remake. I'd like to see his take on something else. I don't know what, but, you know, I would, I would take it. Maybe I'd if he, be like, interested to see his take on the Wolfman. Whoa. <laughs> that would be... That would be something if I can like, yeah, because then it's like like you like go into it's like you're like going into like a drug trip whenever you're like in transform mode. And it's like this whole other fucking like your body's doing one thing, but your mind's in a whole other place or something like an obvious one for him would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I feel that's a bit predictable. He already did that. House of House of a a Thousand Corpses is essentially rob zombies texas chainsaw massacre it just doesn't have a chainsaw in the movie he basically give him like one of the uh universal monster ips and let him just do his thing with it i don't know which one but just let him do it i'd say out of any of them yeah the wolfman would make the most sense i think the wolfman yeah but i have i've heard lee winnell's doing that yeah he is doing that with ryan gosling Yeah, yeah, yeah i'm excited for that one but yeah, so my whole thing with just Rob Zombie. Oh, and last thing about Rob Zombie too. This is my favorite Halloween poster. I love that dramatic pose that Michael is in, and like the the weird angle that it's at. I don't know. I love that poster for some reason. It is a good poster. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So uh, my biggest thing is like you know what Rob Zombie he made his Halloween. And if that's your cup of tea, then it's these movies are for you. But I just don't I just don't like like the anger that people got of like, you don't understand the character. You disrespected the character. He broke the rules of what not to do with a killer. And I just don't agree with those statements. I don't either. There are no rules in a story. Just make something that you like and do it well. That's all there is to it. Especially if you're going to do your take on something else, too. Like, fucking take it, put your stamp all over it, and do it. And, you know, I fucking love him for that. I was just just imagining, uh, imagine for a moment Rob Zombie was directing our skeletons in the closet with some of the kills that you've described. Shit. Fuck me. (laughs) They would be nightmare fuel. Oh, man. I would take that for Alrighty, we have spiraled our way to the end of this episode, and um, we've talked about, you've heard 
every take that you could have about the Halloween franchise here. Um, we did our best, at least, you know, just to... There's a lot of movies, there's a lot of stuff going on here, um, but I think we deciphered it in a very fun way for you guys. So the last thing that we will leave you off with is I wanted to ask Nolan, where does Michael Myers, and I'm talking, I guess, the character, but the char- the character and his franchise, where does it rank amongst the iconic slashers? I think as a character, he's very high up. I'd say my top three scariest horror killers would be Leatherface, Michael Myers, and then Ghostface in terms of the ones I find scariest. For entertaining, it'd probably be Chucky, Freddy, Michael. And for in terms of his franchise, I mean, over on the board... This franchise has way more weak entries that truly suck and aren't fun to watch than any other horror franchise I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Uh, I'll piggyback off the tail end of that. Is yes, I will agree with that. Is, um, I mean, I've never seen a franchise that's more inconsistent than just, the Halloween movies. But yes. the great ones are great. Yes, I mean it is so inconsistent. Like just with a lot of. With a lot of different things and just the way that it has been and in terms of it, like having no identity, but yet still being like kind of all the same. I don't know. Cause it's like I as a character, as a character, it just because of the Rob Zombie, like including the Rob Zombie movies, I'll say as a character, he's a little more interesting um, than, you know, say like a Jason Voorhees but there's definitely a lot more slashers that are more interesting. Um, as far as like him as a killer, I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty brutal. He doesn't have any like lines except babies. Um, but I mean, we've seen a viciousness like, but at the same time, I'm not super scared of Michael. Just because I'm like, yeah, he's a really big dude that just like won't stop. But I don't know. Like, he doesn't scare me per se, even though he is quite dangerous. But yeah, but the as far as his franchise goes, um, he's it's down there. Like, I You're never gonna binge all the Halloween movies. No. Like I, will, I will take the Halloween movies over the Friday the thirteenth franchise. I can say I that with, with that. I will say that with confidence, but it is still behind the Child's Play franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pretty inconsistent, yet it still remains a very overall entertaining franchise. So I will still put Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just because it's also more my favorite as far as like the originals go. Um I mean the Candyman franchise as a franchise isn't great, but just the first one alone and Candyman as a character is more important to me. So I put that over the Halloween franchise so that, yeah, as a franchise, I don't know. It's kind of down or it's it's down there, but it's still above Friday the 13th, though, because I do, especially now, including Rob Zombie's Halloween's and still including Halloween season of the witch as well. I'll leave you with one more hot take. The only time Jason Voorhees has ever been interesting to me 
is in the remake of Friday the 13th from 2009. Yeah, no, totally agree. I'm, I agree. He's like, he's too like stiff and like, no, like I, I, I like Jason's creativity in uh the like original franchise i guess but he's also just like kind of stiff and no character or anything but the 2009 one he is like scary he's intense he's vicious and creative as well so yeah the the 2009 friday the 13th is my favorite besides freddy versus jason because <laughs> i'll uh. i'll say freddy versus jason is still the best friday the 13th movie Oh, there's your hot... That's my hot take to end it on. (laughs) It's getting hot in here. It's getting hot in here. Um, I'm sure there will be a month with a Friday the 13th in it at some point, and we'll talk those movies. And then I don't have... We're going to talk Nightmare on Elm Street uh, for uh, Wes Craven month in, in, uh, in August. That's a long ways away, but in August, that's when we're going to talk Nightmare on Elm Street. It's good to make plans ahead, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, Nolan, thank you so much for coming on and ha- staying on for so long, for one. Like, thank you so much. Like, I, I, I love doing these longer episodes, like, whenever we, like, really just get to, like, lay it all out there, you know? Um, so thank you May, for if donating. If there's anybody I would hang out with for longer than two hours, you're definitely one of them. Yes, thank you for donating your evening to me because we are on such a big time difference. Um, it's not too late. May, may, for on, you. It, it's it's not honestly. I go to bed at like two a.m. and stuff now, and uh, I mean now that I've finished with Moonflower edits, sort of, I'm gonna be devoting all of my energy to getting the script for Skeletons finished. Hopefully, a good first draft by the end of the month. I think we can. I think we can make that happen because, yeah, I'm also away from I've like done all my bigger projects now for a hot minute. So like I'm ready to fucking we're going to focus in. We're going to get that done. But uh, yeah, so, of course, we've already mentioned uh, your book that you're still working on that hopefully we shall see soon and as well as the screenplay we're working on. But you got anything else you would like to plug? Uh, well, I don't know if you've seen, uh, but I've been getting some more work as a voice actor lately. Uh, I recently voiced Spider-Man in uh, one of Brown Table's videos. I was also in his uh, animated thing for Among Us. Truthfully, I have no fucking idea what Among Us even is. But he just messaged me and was like, can you do these lines? I'm like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. So I did it in a Scottish accent to show voice actors in America what a real Scottish accent sounds like. But uh, yeah, I'm also looking for more voice acting work if anybody needs that. Uh I am working on our new stories as lessons this month as well. It is horror related. You'll see that when it comes out, but it's part of a pretty good project that I'm really excited to be done with. And besides doing skeletons, uh, I'm also trying to draft another book. That's uh, I mentioned Peter Pan earlier in this episode. I want to do a tribute to Peter Pan in some way through one of my own stories. Okay. And I've got a really, I've got a really fun take on it. Hell yeah. Um, I will definitely make sure to link all your socials in the description and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm really excited for the audience to get Skeletons in the Closet once um, once it comes to fruition. And yeah, I'm always excited for new video essays from you. So definitely make sure you guys go check him out on YouTube. Like I said, I will provide links and all that jazz down below. Thank you once again for stopping by the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Oh! 
a big thank you once again to Mr. Nolan Dean for donating his evening to me and talking all things about the Halloween franchise. Trust me, that is not the last time you will hear from him or uh, things between me and him in the future. Hopefully you guys stuck it out with me until the end. I know it was a long one and I was ridiculously high when we recorded. So yeah, it was a bit of a mess and my brain was a bit fried for a couple days after catching up on all those movies. So this is the last time that I will be talking about Halloween for quite a while. But that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Next week, we are joined by writer extraordinaire Anya Stanley to talk Donnie Darko. Make sure you guys are following me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.